Welcome to the Made to Parade podcast, sponsored by the British Drum Company, manufacturers of the Phantom, Regimental Series and Axial Parade drums that look amazing, sound amazing and feel amazing. All right, folks, welcome back to the Made to Parade podcast. You're joining us on episode number two on our brand new season number four and it is absolutely great to have you all back with us just want to say a word of thank you first and foremost to everyone who listened in to the very first episode with uh, john carmichael there from the the brigden loyalist absolutely amazing response to that and an amazing response to all of the rest of the episodes on the podcast as well i think in that week Every single episode of the podcast got listened to multiple times and, and my last check there would accumulated about a thousand one hundred um listens in the past seven days. So thank you to everybody who listened in. If you're a new listener, welcome aboard. And if you're a loyal listener, thank you for sticking with us and uh, checking the podcast out every week. As you'll be well aware, the parades are back and uh, it's been great to see some bands out on the, the street. And uh, in the meantime, while I wait to get out with the band again, um, I've been doing some live streams from the, the Made to Parade Facebook site. Um, maybe you've uh, checked some of those out, maybe you've seen them. And uh, until I'm out parading on the road again, I'm going to do my best to be at a number of parades and uh, hopefully be able to share them live with you from there. So if you're a listener to the podcast and you check out one of our live streams, make sure you say hello and uh, we'll give you a wee mention there. So we have a great episode lined up for you and uh, with a member from a band in East Belfast and a band that I have mentioned a fair few times in my book Made the Parade and that's the Gertrude Star. I have uh, fond memories of the, the Gertrude Star growing up. They were a band that were really local to me. They practiced in a bar just around the corner from where I lived in Tar Street and they were always a... Uh, a big band, a well-followed band in, in the area and uh, a band that I still have a lot of respect for and always look out for um, even today. So I'm going to be joined by their chairman, Peter Dempster, and we had a great conversation there a wee while back and I'm delighted to be able to, to share that with you. So folks, I'll be back as per usual, a wee bit near the end, just to give you some updates and tell you who's on the next episode. But for now, sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversation with Peter Dempster from the Gertrude Star in this brand new season of the Made the Parade podcast. Alrighty, folks, welcome to another episode of the Made the Parade podcast. You are joining us here on season number four, and uh, I am delighted to be joined today by Peter Dempster from the Gertrude Star. Peter, great to have you involved with us. Nice to be here. All right, well, brilliant stuff. So, Peter, obviously, the Gertrude's one of uh, local bonds in terms of where I'm from, obviously, East Belfast bond. But how did you get involved in bonds yourself? How did you get started? Um, to be honest, my mother and father were involved with bonds um, in, in their youth. Um, my dad was actually in the Donald Rangers accordion band. And my mother, she was in Ballet Drain accordion band, I think it was called. So it sort of stemmed from them. They were always taking us to parades and... Um, then when I think was about four year old, they got me a bass drum and we walked as normal people did in our, our generation, walking around the streets whistling and drumming and fluting and whatever. But mainly, um, my friend was involved in the band um, when I was about nine and he wanted to, to go out to band practice one evening and he says, do you want to come with me? And of course my mum says, hey, don't you be coming back here with flutes or drumsticks or anything or whatever hey, okay. else. And of course, being the, the normal youngster, I arrived home with a flute and... 
my dad seen me and he says, no, that's it, that's where he stands. So that's that's really where it sort of stemmed from, really. Okay, so it was a friend then um, who lives nearby, went uh-huh. to the bond. And what was the bond that you joined at first? Um, at first, it was a wee bond just outside of Cumber called Drumray Young Defenders. Right. Do you remember them or not? Or, no, yeah. I can't say that no. uh, I do. That <laughs> was a long, long time ago now. But no, that was, that's where I first started out there. All right. And what was that like then? Talk to me a bit about that experience, you know, of going down to a bond hall for the first time or a bond practice for the first time. What was that like for you? As you were saying, you were nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was that like as a nine? You're walking into this room full of people, one that you either, you might not know, but also looking to either pick up an instrument or be part of a bond. It was strange because I suppose that is a lot of people would think that you're maybe going to be quite shy and quite timid. Um, the, the beauty of that practice at that stage they were practicing up the stairs so the main band was up out of the way and a lot of the younger ones were all sort of downstairs so there's only a lot of kids younger ones and maybe just one or two people that was sort of teaching them at the time but I was quite forward in, in what I was doing I was wanting to try and get in and get involved and I didn't really have much intention going out and joining to be fair but right. once I seen everyone else doing it and I picked it up and I was sort of getting a note of it nearly straight away and I thought to myself I quite like this and I became quite Still nervous, obviously, but you know, I was quite forward in, in my approach with it. Like it was, but it was good. Yeah, so you started off with the flute, then, yeah. Uh-huh, uh huh. Brilliant. Did and what was your the, the the person like that taught you how to play? Do you remember anything about what any tips and tricks that they give you to try and get the, the note out of the yeah, instrument? He always used to say, "Is it like getting a hurry out of your mouth?" I know. You know, okay. that sort of spitting uh-huh. formation or that, that that blown sort of way of doing it. Um, but no, he was he was very he was very very good with the, the young ones at the time. Like, but um. Yeah, he was. He gave you quite a bit of information, but it was quite a lot to process at the same time. Yeah, I, I couldn't read from notes, so mm-hmm. I just learned everything by ear. So right, I would okay. sit and listen to it, and then try and play it, and wasn't ready to try and correct it that way. So sure. he was getting quite frustrated with me with that. Like, but <laughs> and what was the note system like? Was it just the ABC yeah, stuff? Just yeah, the just stuff, yeah. Right, no worries. But you were kind of like, "Oh, this isn't working for me." So mm, yeah. just trying to pick it up by by ear and stuff. And and what were the first kind of tunes that you you picked up then? Um, I think the first tune I learned was New Orange Wings. Right, okay. I think that was the first one. A friend of mine who lived close by his um, uncle, he run a band, and he was trying to give me notes. But again, it was tunes that, that the band I was in at that time didn't really play. And as I say, I couldn't really read the notes. But New Orange Wings, was, I think it was New Orange Wings, really, the barrel was called or something. Used right, to, okay. used to play it. And of course, I always wanted to try and tackle the harder ones, because if you got the harder ones out of the way, then everything else became easy. Yeah, you know, yeah. The longer tunes and such, but that would have been the first one to memory. Brilliant. And did you end up walking with that band? I did. Um, first period was Easter Monday in Calais. can't remember what year it was. Um, but I can, I can remember I was as proud as punch too. And I was in my own wee row on my own in the front of the band, right. very front row behind the bass drummers. And we were playing in Calais. We got into the field and I stood in Mark time and Cow Dung. And I didn't care. I was as proud as punch and treasures were red and they were plastered up the sides of it and everything. But no, it was I walked with them. It was only in that, in that band about a year and a half, two years. Right, okay. And what do you recall about the first part? Part of obviously apart from stabbing in the cake <laughs> dung or whatever else, but what was it like walking that first period? I know you were proud, getting the uniform and being out there, but what was it really like, you know, walking in the ranks for you? It was strange because you know what it's like at that age, young ones, they don't really pay too much attention to their surroundings and whatever else and you know, it's sort of very, very strict. You're being told, right, stand there, don't move, arm up. And it was, I was sort of just looking around me and sort of looking for people that I knew and stuff, you know, <laughs> looking for my mum and dad or whatever. But the feeling of it was magic, you know, just that, that's, mm. that, that, even at that young age, I know it sounds to me silly, but that, that real feeling of pride that you've worked hard, learned yeah. the tunes, you've got the uniform on and, and away you go. It was magic know. like. There's something about that. I remember whenever I, I know I've talked about my first period a lot, even in the book and stuff, but see just that leaving the house in the morning, 
and like going to the bond hall with the uniform on, like I don't think my shoulders could have been pinned back <laughs> any further. I mean, I was like walking at a forty-five degree <laughs> angle. So it, was, oh, it was absolutely fantastic. And uh, now my marching left a lot to be desired. I have to say, you know, oh, so yeah, you know, so I was constantly being called out for for being out of step and uh-huh. not being straight in the ranks and stuff like that there. But uh, you learn over time, don't yeah. you? Yep. You, think, you think you're doing well until I, somebody shouts at you and you realise you're walking a completely different step than everybody else. <laughs> that you know, still yeah. happens. <laughs> what, what, what are you doing up round by the bass drummer, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so you stayed with, with these guys for um, about a year, year and a half, you would say? Yeah. And then where did you move on to from there? Strangely, because... All my family, my uncles, in fact, one of my uncles um, are still in it, um, are all sort of Crimson Star men in Cumber. Mm-hmm. Um, I became the black sheep. Um, a couple of my friends were in the Gold Springs and Drumray just were sort of starting to, to, to fade away a wee bit as such. They weren't really, um, they weren't getting the members down. There was a lot of things went on that, that stopped practicing parades and stuff. Right. So um, the mate of mine, he says, when I come up to the Gold Springs, but mother and father didn't really want me going there because there was a bit of, Bit of stickler between the two bands at the time, but right, okay. I was adamant I was going there, and I remember going up. In fact, it was actually everybody knows him. We all Joe, the bass drummer of the Gold right. Springs. The Gold Springs used to do like a, a collection parade on Grand National Day around the town uh-huh. and try, try to encourage young ones to come in. Um, and he came over to me and he says, "Are you still in drum, Ray?" And I was like, no, "Well, don't think so. Um, don't really know what's happening." And he says, "We'll come up to the learners' class in, in, in the Orange Hall and Cumber here, and but well, you know, we'll you come join us." Uh-huh. And it sort of really stemmed from there, and that really sort of got the interest, and that's that's where I went then at the end. So there was nothing about the way that the kind of Gold Springs were playing or anything at that time that made you kind of go for them instead of the the, the Crimson Star or anything, or was it? Or? No, not really. No, it was as I say. There was a lot of stuff went on in the background between. Crimson and so forth and I just sort of thought no well I'll, I'll just go with a couple of boys that I know when they're in the Gold Springs and I'll go to them and, and, and get my uncles to give me a bit of stick for a few years all right, okay, still, all right. goes, still goes to this day <laughs> and it's mad that isn't it the, the rivalry sometimes that there is be, between bonds mad. and uh, we'll maybe get into a wee bit of that later on yeah. as well like, you know in terms of that there so um, so you find yourself back in a learner's class again then with, uh, with what do you call it with the uh, Gold Springs then mm-hmm. yeah strange yeah I can remember too the the Flutes that Drum Ray used to use with the, the Miller Brown. Mm-hmm. And whatever went up the Gold Springs, the Orange Hall was falling around us at the time. Yeah. You know, obviously it's all new now. Um, but at that time, and they had these flutes, and it was like a solid gold or a solid silver end. Right, there, okay. was no, there was no mouth guard around it. Uh-huh. Every night you were getting in the dead of winter and you were putting the flute up, and it was ice cold. Baltic. And it was freezing. You're sitting with a big coat on and all, but it was brilliant. They, it was, I think we Joe was the ones that actually took a lot of learners back then as well. And another fellow, mm-hmm. Mark Hanna, would have been the band captain then. Um, and they were brilliant. Like they were really, really good. You know, it was just a different sort of tune style and a wee bit more up to date at that time, obviously. Yeah. And, and it was just a longer list then. You were sort of back to start again. You're going here we go again but <laughs> you're not long working through them uh, so d- during that time did you progress on to actually being able to read some of the notes and stuff like that there, or were you no, still really. very much a no, by I, ear I kind of thing pretty much because I used to listen um, from as a kid I always had tapes there used to be a wee stand in Ards Market in yeah. Ards Square used to sell all the band tapes yeah. and the wee mom was there for 20 odd years so we used to go over every other week so the collection but the ones the two that I always went to listen to was the Gold Springs Art of Noise I don't really right. remember it with the, uh, Donald Duck on the, the front Yes, I do indeed. And uh, Seriously Good Blood and Thunder with the Hay Lawrence camel on it. 
Right. So that would have been the two that the tunes that they were playing then, uh-huh. and I would have sat and listened to them and tried to play along with them. And but the notes, even still to this day, I'm still I'm trying to learn again now, <laughs> and it's still not working. No worries. So you mentioned they're about tapes and stuff, and uh, obviously, I think at the time whenever that tape came out, there seemed to be like this uh, trend of people using particular types of characters for the front of uh-huh. their their tapes and stuff. I remember the. The Raising Sons East Belfast had a Weedabix man or something on theirs, <laughs> and the Sharpshooters, their first one was a Pink Panther or something. You know, I remember so. that. I had that, <laughs> and I had was it Newton Arts Pro Boys had the Ghost with uh, the, the, the jumper, the, the jacket, and the hat and all on. But now you're right. There's quite a few of them had a few artistic. With quite a lot of stuff going on there. But how much did the tapes have an influence on you and in helping you trying to pick things up, not just from your band, but from other bands in terms of maybe the tunes and stuff? Because you were saying you quite the collection. I think more, it, it sort of give you, you know yourself from learning, obviously, but when you're learning in the house, it's a lot different than playing with a band. Mm-hmm. You know, the first time I walked with John Ray, it was like, it was sort of like alien, as if I thought I'm out too soon. I didn't really know what I was doing. But when you're playing with the tapes or you're, you're you know, I think timing is a big thing. It comes in quite well. And especially when I was listening to more of the Goldspring side of things, obviously that was the tunes that I was going to be playing. So it sure. really helped that way. Um, but yeah, they, they, were, they were useful. Any any standout tapes that you remember from that time? I would say probably the Black Skull one would have been my dad had, and then I had. Do you remember the the, the funny speaking to fellow the other night about it there the the Grenadiers one the one with the, the red hand holding the hungry and I think it was ah yeah I remember yeah. it I loved it uh-huh. I, I remember it I think I actually have that still somewhere I what do you call it that big Eddie Tony from Billy Halbert had given me a but a, a, a pen drive with all these uh, digital recordings of it and I think that that, that one's on uh-huh. on that but it's a surprise how many people mention that first Black Skull tape mm-hmm. that's one with a fee the three guys standing on the front yeah. of it, isn't it? Almost like a the colour party type thing, mm-hmm. isn't it? My dad had, had a lot of those collections. He had a lot of records of old bands and, yeah. and like a lot of old um, like protests that was maybe done on mm-hmm. like the Ulster Hall or whatever. He had a lot of that with all the music and all on it. So yeah. tapes were a big, big thing. I was standing bladder in the bass drum in the bedroom. <laughs> place, so. I know. For me, it was the... For me, I have to say the tape that really did it for me was Pride of the Mail. You know, the, that first Pride of the Mail tape for me was unreal and then whenever they brought out the, the second one Miles better and it's still an influence today for people because obviously they were playing you know um you know they were playing what they were called it, it was bunch of time mm-hmm. but it's still being played today similar to it which is you know build my goals and uh but the same drum kind of pattern is yeah, used yeah. by all these bonds and i mean you're talking about 30 35 maybe years later and it's still it's having still an influence you know what I mean mm-hmm. you know and even at first skull tape I mean there's still people playing the exact same arrangement yeah. of White Plume and Ralph mm-hmm. Freyland and all together on it, you know exactly so it's uh, it's amazing just how, how much impact that that actually has so you're back in a learner's class how long does it take you to get out with the Gold Springs then? Well luckily I sort of joined at the tail end of the season um, coming into sort of the winter period as we would call it um, so sort of by the time that the, the new parading season came back around, I was sort of I knew it was sort of edging close towards that. Um, so I'd say back by the by the time the first parade came around again, I can't remember I think it was Easter Tuesday and Palomino was the parade, and and I walked down with the Gold Springs, and that was the that was that was the start of it then. That was okay. Back to back to the front row, me own again. <laughs> and uh, I know we were talking before about we hit the record button and stuff, but you you know you said you progressed on the other instruments and stuff. Did you do that as part of your time in the the Gold Springs or did that? Yeah, um, 
it sort of came one night there was I think there were short of drummers or something and again because I had been listening to the tapes and you know if you were, if there were maybe somebody missing a bomb practice you would have lifted a drum and sat in the chairs um, and it was a case of either somebody drums or we don't go mm-hmm. I think it was the, the Raising Sons Parade in the, in the East um, and I ended up by says well I'll do it and I was only 14 15 right. I thought I'll give it a crack but again I walked as if it you know sort of ripped my trousers or something it wasn't <laughs> great it was a bit heavy carrying it was one of the old old premiers yeah um, but no that was sort of and I sort of stemmed on to then um, sort of if it were short then I'd have sort of stepped in and, and, and sort of like went on the drum but then I went on to it permanently and after a few years okay but uh, you bands really need that though don't they, they need people who in, in the ranks that are versatile and mm-hmm. be able to, to pick things up especially if you're Maybe, I don't know whether it's the same in the Gert now, obviously we'll talk about that later, but, you know, some of the, those small bonds really need people to be able to step up, you know, okay. and I think I was watching one of the, the videos of the parades recently, and uh, one of the bonds was walking with three bass drummers, but the two spurs were in the ranks playing a flute, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, you, know, you need that type no, of thing you, going you on. Or yeah, no, definitely. Um, so, how long were you in the, the Gold Springs for? Um, 18 years. 18, 18, right, okay. 18 in total. Right, well, what kept you going back week after week? Well, I don't know. Well, I suppose it was just the camaraderie of everything, mm-hmm. you know, and, and a lot of, at that time, there was a lot of boys that, you know, I was in school with, and that, that generation, we still had the sort of the old guard, um, but a lot of the ones that was coming up through the ranks was all mates, and we all, you know, it wasn't just seeing each other at band practice, it was, we're up every night of the week seeing each other, so mm-hmm. it sort of became just like a part of everyday life. It wasn't, oh, I have to go to band practice tonight. You know, it was it was pretty much just, you know, we're going to band practice tonight type thing. Yeah. You know, it was brilliant. Um, and I suppose then they, they, they tried to make like a transition from that sort of old, old, old school blood and thunder um, and sort of started to try to progress again and, and sort of move things forward. And that really sort of regenerated the interest, yeah. especially... Um, a lot of the younger there was more younger ones come in once they heard what we were playing and, and different styles and then people started coming a bit like all bands now it wasn't sort of heard off back then it was all more more locals but there was mm-hmm. more people from outside of Cumber starting to come in um, and that was really it, more the learning that, that's the big thing if you're not learning there's not much interest yeah. if you're just doing the repetitive stuff you know what, what prompted the change because obviously whenever I think about whenever the Gold Springs came onto the scene initially there was a lot of new bands appearing anyway and there was a lot of bonds starting to make that um that switch you know in terms of obviously the skull that influenced the male that had an influence on bonds sharpshooters had appeared you know there was bonds that were really starting to take on a wee bit of stuff from other people was that going on for you guys in the in the gold springs or was there something else that kind of sparked you guys making like a, a transition to another style um, I think the transition period really came from at a time where there's a lot of boys left the band, um, and we were left with very, very, very poor numbers. Um, so for the sort of the first six months, the year after that, um, it was sort of just rebuilding and going back to basics, and we had to sort of strip it right back, and go back to the Sandy Rose and Johnny and you know all those sort of tunes. But as then your people started to come in, they come in with different ideas, possibly from listening to other bands and listening to other tunes and seeing what way we could potentially take it. But the younger fellas, they were as keen as mustard. You know, we were all busting to learn and new new drum settings was always appreciated. And I, I suppose when we sort of started to make that transition then, the, gen- the, the general feel was just everybody wanted to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. You know, and, but I would say definitely a lot of outside influence from other people would definitely have played a big, big part in that. And how does that work then in the, in the room? You know, I mean, in terms of somebody just called down and say, listen, I was messing about with this at home. What do you think? Pretty much, I think 
again, probably going back to listening to the tapes, you know, I always remember another tape, um, was the Portafogue, Red Hand Defenders, mm-hmm. the Black Magic one. Yep. Oh yeah. They that was really the first tape that I can that I listened to that you heard maybe a couple of tunes sort of being integrated together. Because uh-huh. back in whenever I first learned, you know, there was very very few tunes that would have been sort of collage together type thing. Um, and, and there was a lot of that sort of started to come in where there was more melodies and it was just generated from right, well here's what I've been listening to. I'm gonna put these two together, what do you think? Um and then maybe able to have somebody else would have done a drum set into it, two or three people would have played it and said, What do you think? maybe fitted about with it a wee bit and then sort of just progressed from there really and then it was brought up onto the board. Was there any key people that were kind of responsible for that? Um, and In the goal springs of that yeah. game, sorry, yeah. Um, a, f- a guy, unbelievable flitter, a fella called Aaron Finlay. He's actually now in Donegal Flutes and Drums. Right. Man playing the flute and his knowledge of, of tunes going together um, and then he would have done a lot of working with um, the goal springs lead tip at that time, fella from Bangor, Carl Ritchie. Um, them two, see that them two putting stuff together was was fantastic. Like you know, and they had just come down and pretty much done it on their own, and then brought it right. What do you think of this? And then that's you know, but them two would have really have stood out. Joe would have brought quite a lot of tunes down at the time. Um, I'm probably forgetting a few people, but you're putting the spot together. I can't remember, <laughs> but them two sort of really stand out in the round sort of two thousand and two, two thousand three. Them boys would have had a massive influence. I think we brought out about eight or nine tunes that season. Right. Um, would have been really really big then. And were they two of the most kind of respected members in the band, you know, that, you know, the people really kind of listened to, or was it just the fact that they were so good at what they'd done that people were like, no, let's listen to them? Well, Aaron's father was one of the founding members of the band. There you go, yeah. And he had been in the band from when he was a kid. Um, so I think the respect sort of, he, he obviously built his own respect from his work and his dedication to the band, but um, they would have been two of, of quite a few. There would have been quite a few boys there, sort of more senior members that would have been well-respected and well-thought-of. Um, I suppose we all sort of took a reading from them we all sort of read mm-hmm. if they were into it then we sort of became into it and if they sort of put it to say well that was yeah, just right. a general thing you okay. know it's like when you're younger you sort of were influenced by uh-huh. a lot of people but they would have been they would have been two or, two or three of, 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 of a good few then so obviously you're still at a reasonably young age and all how included were you as a young person in terms of the decisions that the bond made and things were you fully a part of that or was it stuff people made decisions and kind of let you know what was going on well the then the committee would have sort of maybe have come in and said that they had a meeting and they, they discussed something and um, they would maybe put it to a vote. Then at that stage, that probably would have been my biggest input. Um, but then sort of as we grew a bit older, um, sort of in the maybe 2006, 2007, um, I started to make that transition with a few others into the committee. Um, thought felt that, you know, needed a bit of youth and a bit of younger ideas and whatever. Um, but at that stage, no, not really. It would have been really just in the main hall. They, them boys would have made the decisions and we'd have maybe just took the vote on it. Um, but... As I say, as I, as I gradually grew into it, then, then I stupidly got involved with committees and <laughs> became a day job. Brilliant. And uh, tell me, you obviously with having spent um, quite a considerable amount of time in the Gold Springs, you're bound to have had some standout moments in terms of your time with them. Any any come to mind? Um, the first one, and every time I'm asked that question, is the Covenant Day. Right. Covenant Day was, it was something something different and with obviously being at that stage being in the country sort of 12th of July's and um, obviously walking around Cumber on the 1st of July you know you didn't really get that that massive massive experience of big big massive deep deep crowds and mm-hmm. like that I can remember standing on Sandy Rowan Covenant Day and we were delayed I think we were delayed for about two hours we stood and you're sort of going right come on I want to get in here you know, come on <laughs> But once we walked out, we walked from Sandy Rose, say, and we turned left down towards um, 
the black man statue and then yeah. turned right into city hall and the streets just opened and it was 10 11 road deep the big union flag outside city hall and the feeling the buzz the atmosphere the adrenaline and we, we were walking at that time with a really good sized band considering where we'd been for a few years um but it was more of a sense of pride because the gold springs band at that stage was leading the cumber district right okay and to walk through city center that sort of crowd leading our district it was it was a magic feeling and then walking on the bottom of newton Arger road there was oh it was something different but that 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 memory will live for me till the day i'm, yeah. I'm six feet under like that was, no, it, was it was quite a parade i was saying it was really it was it was something else and anything else? Well, that's the first thing that comes to me. What, what that's any the main one? Um, it's hard to think. Now you're going to put me on the spot. I suppose <laughs> I remember Cooklooney one night. I was moving off for a good reason. I'm actually on that. There's a video or a DVD the year Dan Gordon. Right. Okay. Compare on it. Right. And had one too many, one too many beer on the way up, and I think there's a part of the we we're playing a tune and it was right in front of the camera too. And I bulldozed through the drum corps like a like a raging bull and slam up the bass drum. <laughs> okay. Silly wee things like that, but hard really to put on. I remember Kilkeel one night. Now we went down to Kilkeel with seven drummers. Um, I think it was Raising Sons of the Valley Parade, and yeah. we were cooking that night. Them big streets down there, it's brilliant. The parade in Kilkeel, I love down there. Yeah. There's a real good hope, like an atmosphere about it, and that's that stands out. We want, I think we won first mm-hmm. drum corps that night. It was right, brilliant, okay. and the atmosphere coming home and all, and everyone was buzzing just with the obviously it's just the work you put in. Yeah. Um, but. Parade ways, but not many. But they they would be two that really sort of stand out. Yeah, where's the where's the stand up the her standing up in the back ear neck moments? You know the the places where the bond goes or the parade that you're involved in, and you just always seem to get that moment where things just pop. Well, your your bonds in the groove or not, but the the, the crowd pops and everybody's kind of like, whoa, this is great. First one comes to mind. First is July night coming off the Belmont Road. Round Hollywood Arches. Yeah. No better feeling. That, That's that is, again, some similar to the Covenant Day when you walk around that corner and it just opens and you just, you can't see the road for people. And yeah. the atmosphere and the singing and the dancing and the shouting. If that, if you're a bandsman and that doesn't excite you, yeah. then you need to hang your sticks no. or flute up or whatever. But that is unbelievable. Um, no, definitely. That turning right off the bottom of the arches to go to the, the Newton Arch Road yeah. is immense, isn't it? Once you hit the con club and down, it's just... It's electric. It's crazy, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And people just don't get it. People mm. who are involved in bands always say, well, what's so exciting about it? And they just don't get it. And mm. If you're not involved or like bands, you'll never get it. But that feeling is just, it's unbelievable. And I was talking to somebody the other, the other night, and they were, um, it was actually um, John Carmichael from the, the Brigden Loyalists. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, I asked him something similar, and he was saying it, it's that, you know, bottom of the Lisburn Road on the 12th. Oh, coming home. You know, coming home on the, yeah, yeah. the heading round towards Sandy Road. And he's like kind of going, because they, I think they walk with the Sandy Road Lodge. Uh-huh. And uh, he said that, that pop there. Is is the one is the one for him? And I remember I was talking to Deandy from the 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 Black School. He had met his over here was Tamper Avenue. You know, walking up Tamper Avenue for him. It's was, good on the twelfth. You know, it's, it's always good, it's always good as well. You know, so. But the, the Sandy Road one, it, it always frightens me. <laughs> right. Okay. You know, not not for me personally. Um, just more. As soon as we sort of start to come that direction, you're always living at the front for the young ones. Yeah, yeah. And because they come in so deep and they're inside, and you're always sort of hard by. I just don't. Yeah. Come. It's it's good. The atmosphere is good. Don't get me wrong, but it, it's not as enjoyable. No, as no. Yours. I think you're. I think you're right. Though there is that element where you, there's almost it almost feels a, a touch claustrophobic, uh-huh. doesn't it? And then when you you're used to being spread out in the ranks, 
and then all of a sudden you're you're almost like walking the Noah's Ark two by two. <laughs> yes, that's what I mean. So no, but you're right there. You're always you always are kind of conscious of the, the young people. Especially, I was always on the the lookout for like symbol players, triangle players, and kind of yeah, yeah. you know bringing them back into you know right, come on back with mm-hmm. us here and stand out of the way because last thing you want to do is get lost in a lost in a crowd. How did becoming a member of the committee change your concept of being a member of a band? I suppose you, it really changes your whole mentality because you sort of have to take into consideration what you're doing. Is it right for the band? Is it right for your membership? Is the decisions that you're putting your input into and, and the decisions that you're making, does that sit well? And is it for your own personal gain or is it for the band's gain? And it's just a total different way of thinking. Um, the phone calls become a lot more, <laughs> more meetings. Um, but I enjoyed that, and for me, that was something that sort of, not that I was getting fed up, but it, it sort of gave you a new lease of life. Mm. You sort of felt as if your opinion was was well thought of. Sure. You know, your 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 peers had voted you into that position. Uh-huh. Um, between that and then moving on to bass drum was the two things that sort of really sort of reengaged my my real drive and interest into the band again. Okay, on. And as, did you find that it had any kind of did it derive any conflict in terms of why you sort of making decisions, you know, in terms of, you know, we get people that say, well, what the hell are you doing that for? I didn't want that. You know, and it, it kind of puts you in an awkward position, especially mm-hmm. if you've got friends in a bond and then you have to try and explain the reason behind why you are doing things, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, it certainly does. I mean, even still to this day, I mean, you know what it's like in all walks of life, you know, people here at the forefront, their leaders are always the ones that are judged and judged probably harsh more harshly than what they should be. Mm. Um, especially in this because at the end of the day, everybody that goes to do the to be involved in bonds, it's a hobby. Yeah. Nobody's paid to do it. Nobody's exactly. you know, people are just doing it out of the kindness of their heart and, and their their love and passion for it. But I always feel that, you know, there's always somebody sitting there waiting. Whenever a committee makes a decision, they're always waiting for that opportunity to, to, to turn <laughs> around and say something. And it does create that bit of conflict. Yeah. Um but at the same time too you know they need to understand, and 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 hopefully over the years that if I have explained anything to anybody that they understand that it's the right decision for the band at that time, um and thankfully they've sort of maybe come around to it. Sometimes they don't, but it does. It does certainly. Uh, yeah, it can't necessary. be. It can It can't be edgy at times. <laughs> it can't. It can't. <laughs> but I think that's another thing that you know that not everybody will get about the plans is the amount of organisation. That goes into keeping a bond on the road, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of communicating between people, making sure you're, you know, not just getting the practice, getting the parades, and then obviously the fundraising aspect of everything in regards to the bond. Because as you say, I mean, this is a, a voluntary, you know, participation thing. It's mm-hmm. not like you know, there's stacks of, of funding arriving from anywhere to kind of keep bonds on the road. Hey, did you, did you ever find that whole idea of constantly having the fundraise tarrant? It can, and I suppose it's more trying to come up with fresh ideas mm. and, and new ways of, of trying to, to get people that dangle in that carrot to get them to bite on it as such. Um, you know, there's only so many indoors you can do. Yeah. And when you've been to one indoor, you've been, been to them, them all, all nearly. You know, <laughs> That's and, true, and, yeah. and I think it's it's just trying to find new inventive ways of, of, of generating money. Um, I mean, our band there recently, we've done, um, during COVID, obviously, just tried to, to, to keep a bit of cash flow coming in. Um, we done a signed Rangers photograph. Okay. Um, normally it would have been like a Christmas ballot. That's you know yeah. I think every band does that and it's that's brilliant fun. You know everyone loves selling a ballot. Um, 
But yeah, it's just really, it, it does become tiresome. So it's just trying to keep something fresh and something new to, yeah. to, to, to get the money in through the door. But it's like everything, again, you know, it's the same as the committee men. You'll always get that one or two that's doing the real, real fundraising and the others that are just... On you their know, coattails. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, you were saying everybody loves a ballot until you've been levied for, for 10 bucks. <laughs> like, you know... <laughs> <laughs> the normal tenders. Yeah, well, that's it. They uh, do that. I'm sick, seriously. Yeah, you're 100 quid. What's that? What? 25 pounds in your juice. They love that. Brilliant. And uh, and that's well, that's an odd thing, as I think you know that not everybody knows. I mean, obviously, that most how do you use work the Jews? Now we'll talk about that later. But how did you use work Jews in, in Goldsprings? Was it a weekly thing, monthly thing, or how did? Yeah, that... kids. I think back then, I think kids were paying fifty p a week. Right. And I think the working members were paying a pound a week. Right. Um, again, don't know what it's like now, but I mean. Yeah. It was it was buttons. Buttons, you know, like you know, buttons, I think like that's when you think about it. I mean, you're talking maybe say you've got ten kids in a bond. There's fifty fifty p a week. That's a what's that a fiver? Like you know that. what I mean. And then you've maybe got twenty adults at a pound. You're you're twenty five pound mm-hmm. a week coming in. Like you get more in a brew. You well, know what I mean. So, <laughs> <laughs> you're trying to run a, a bond on that, looking off their instruments and trying that's to. That's it, and especially the cost. And people, I don't think people realize. The cost of of running bands, like I really don't. That's crazy. There, there's a guy there in um, in Cumbria. He's one of the local councillors. I think he's a TUV. Stephen Cooper. Oh, right. He actually was. He done a piece there a, a good while ago, um, and he really went in depth and, and tried to look into how much the band scene actually brings revenue mm. into the country. Yeah, and it was massive. Uh, it's it is, crazy. It was scary. I wish it would be the facts and figures because it would be good to use an argument on something. Yeah, no, stuff. I think it is. It, I think in regards, if I can recall that report, I think, you know, they talk about that uh, on a standard year, bonds make somewhere in the region of one and a half to two million pounds worth of charitable donations every year. And I think in regards to the economy, it's 40 to 50 million pounds that they generate every year between the instruments, uniforms, transport, yeah. entertainment, visiting places, food, all this kind of stuff, that it's in those really high levels in terms of the millions, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And it's crazy. And you, th- you think about what that does for a local economy. If you go down to the likes of, you talked about Market Hill, you know, you go down there and then that's one of the biggest parades mm-hmm. of the year. I mean, that is some people's Christmas. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're, listen, you know what? There's going to be thousands upon thousands of people in the town tonight, mm-hmm. and we're going to make a mint out of this. Do you know what I mean? And that's you burn up in your hands. Exactly. It should I mean? be. Should be. Well, you should definitely. Unfortunately, there's some people who don't see it that way. Yeah, and 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 this is one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about, Peter, in regards to the recovery from COVID. I definitely think the bonds have a major part to play in an economic recovery because you think if we're putting that amount of money into the economy and things have been so tight. For so, for so long, that's going to have a boost right across the province. Mm, like, big time. So it is. You, know, you think of, the, 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 you know, going back to Ulster Bus, I'm sure Ulster Bus and the bus companies are, they, they would not know what they're doing themselves because, I mean, the prices of the charge bonds now, and I don't yeah. know how many bonds there is in the country, but. Mm, like 620, 630 or something like that. Each bond paying maybe minimum £300 for a bus. Yeah, it's big crazy, money. isn't it? It's not the bill you know I, mean? I know, definitely not. So it's so. Obviously, I've already introduced you as being a member of the, the Goodrich store. And we've spent up for a bit of time now talking about you being in the Gold Springs. Where did that change happen? Um, it actually stems from the Gold Springs, to be fair. Right, okay. Uh, well, obviously. Um, but we, when I was in the Gold Springs, we'd done an indoor again um, for um, Clock Fern. Right. Um, Is that bottle of the, the bonds, bottle of thing? bonds. Yeah. I think was I think it was about the first or second year um, that they'd done it in the new club. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we get into the final, 
and when we went up there, we'd find out we're in the final with the Gertrude. Okay. Um, and we went up, and just again, the atmosphere up there that night, the the two bands, you know, it's like you go to most indoors, each band sits in their own sort of yeah. their own areas. Um, but we went up in the two bands, they were sort of mingling together and sort of talking, and obviously we, we know each other, like, but yeah. um, yeah, we went up there with them. And strangely enough, um, it was actually agreed that no matter who won, I think it was a thousand pound of the winner. Um, and back then it was big, big money. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was agreed that the two bands would split the money. Right. Okay. And I actually think it was a fellow who's now the Gertrude's treasure, David right. Moore. Okay. He was in the Gold Springs with me. Right. And he, uh, I think it was him that we agreed <laughs> to split this with these boys. And uh, cut a long story short, we went up and we ended up with one it. And David lifted the money and done our honour with him. Didn't right. give him half of it. Okay. Um, so I thought I'd call him out on that while this is going out. But uh, <laughs> no, from then, sort of built quite a lot of relationships with a lot of them boys up there at that time. Uh-huh. Um, and obviously when it moved on to the bass drum, um, there's a few of them were sort of watching me quite a bit and, and sort of like with the scene from from a playing ability, obviously. Sure. Um and then just as I said, yeah, well, the relationships really built, and then you're sort of getting to speak to people a lot more. And um, there's a couple of boys that I know from Cumber had left the Crimson Star and went down there as well right, with okay. the Yankees, um, and they had been telling me what it was like and how good it was. And to be honest, Covenant Day really sort of, really sort of sealed the deal for me that you know I can't walk on Balligan Twelfth anymore, and I can't, I, I just can't bring myself to walk yeah. on clock or ban the hench. As much as it's good, it's it's all right, but when you walk through that atmosphere in Belfast and you get that that real. Back in the hair or back of the the neck, yeah. Her on the back of the neck, stand up type thing. For me, then, and just hearing the drive from what them boys were doing mm. and, the, and the, the moves that they were doing, and um, for me, it was just a case of right. Well, I I, I want to be a part of that and I want to go and enjoy that. Yeah. So I'd sort of told my best mate he's he was band captain in the Gold Springs at the time, and at the start of the season, I'd sort of said to him, "Look, this is going to be my last year in the Gold Springs." Uh-huh. Um. And yeah, sort of, I played it out to the end of the season um, at that stage then and went down and handed my uniform and paid my dues up and went. And went. Right. It wasn't, wasn't easy, but it, it, it happened. Um, yeah, no, it's got to be strange that, you know, in terms of, you know, a band you've spent, you know, a considerable amount of time with to then think, you know what, I'm going to go somewhere else now. Mm-hmm. And, and it's also strange that you mentioned that one of the standout moments in your life was the Covenant Parade mm-hmm. and it's almost as well the instigator of Ooh. change mm-hmm. as well and that's strange isn't it so you find yourself in the position of going down to another band again what was it like walking in to the way was it the Westburn mm-hmm. around what was it like walking into the Westburn to join the Gertrude um, oh, there were so many things it was intimidating mm-hmm. um, from a point of view of you know what? At that age of my life, it's thirty, and you're going back to learning, basically. You know, and and you're sort of going, I, I, can I do this? Can uh-huh. I? You know, you can play a bass drum, walk on maybe eight, ten drummers every week, and maybe sixteen, twenty flutes. But can you go to walk on my band, walk on my twenty, twenty-five drums, and forty, thirty-five, forty flutes? Mm-hmm. Um, and just seeing so many people and in, in, in a band practice, it was scary. You know, it was just. Yeah. And you've so many people there. Like the bass drum court at that time was unbelievable. You know, it was just powerhouse after powerhouse after powerhouse. And to think, could you compete with that? You know, could, uh-huh. you, could you sort of conduct yourself at that level? But then, them same old faces that I met in Clockfern that night, you know, Sturdy Griffins, the Ron Stitts, all uh-huh. them sort of boys, you know, they were always big Tony McMaster all came forward and shaking hands. And mm-hmm. like the welcome that you get when you go down is, is unbelievable. Yeah. And the, they, they just make you feel comfortable. Yeah. Um, and I remember that they said to me, do you want to have a rattle on the bass drum? And I was like, 
What? No. <laughs> I thought I was just going to watch for the first week. No. Um, but then I've been, I've been listening to CDs because I sort of knew it was going. Uh-huh. I've been listening to CDs again and, and sort of learning the, the, the drumming from there. Um, and I remember the band captain at the time, Al McBride, he says to me, is there any tune that you know? And I'd said to him, I will, give us a nice simple four-beat rule one, you know, type thing. Um, and he didn't make it easy. I think I can't remember what it was he gave me, but I went and I played it, but it was no strap on. It was just against the chair. Um, but even that, it just felt like the world lifted off your shoulders. And that sort of, that feeling of nervousness left. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, no, it was, but it was magic. It was yes. seeing just even the way they conducted themselves and the practices itself. Okay. So formatted and, and it wasn't just going to lift it and play. It was... If that wasn't right, it was stopped and it was played okay. again. You know, it was corrected there and then. It yeah. wasn't let the brew on. Um, but no, it was a really, it was a magic feeling. Like it was brilliant. Yeah, no, I definitely can imagine that when you get into the groove, especially if you, you know, it's a bond you've seen on the road a lot. You kind of mm-hmm. like, kind of go on, these guys are at the top of their game. But that wasn't always the case for the Gerwood. The Gerwood went, went through some they major through, change, yeah, didn't it? Big time. You big know? Time. Um, they went through a massive transition period. Because um, they went almost disappeared, didn't they? They did. I think it was sort of some similar to what I was saying about the Gold Springs. You know, that there was a lot of boys had left, and or for whatever reason, um, and then there was three or four boys again. Two boys that I mentioned were at the forefront of it, and, and just said, "Right, look, we need to give this a shake here." Yeah. Um, and the drumming style changed massively. It was yeah. like night and day. Um, I wasn't a part of it, obviously, but you know, from listening to them talking, the, the transition period that they actually went through and had to do to, to make that change yeah. to get to where we are now. It was massive, like, you know, uh, it's, it's, again, it shows you the dedication from people, the drive, they actually want to yeah. do that, again, as a hobby, you know, there's yeah. no, there's no payment for at the end of it, you're just doing it for the sheer love of it, yeah. you know, it's... No, see, they're, they're, for me, they were one of the, they're one of the local bands, I grew up on Tor Street, mm-hmm. and, I um, mean, they, at the time, uh, whenever I was growing up on Tor Street, and I read that the, the, the Gertrude, I practiced in the Avenue 1, and, uh, and I always remember, obviously, seeing them. All the time, there's a big, there used to be a big, I think there still is a big, massive Gertrude mural just across the way from Madrid Street. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they were always one of like, the bond in the in the area, especially around that Tampomar Avenue, you know, yeah. Parker Street, all that kind of thing. That was where, you know, most people seem to originate from. And then obviously Gertrude Street down towards D Street and all mm-hmm. that kind of thing as well, you know. So they're one of those bonds that were always there. And you noticed whenever that happened, whenever they started to shrink. You know, when you're like, kind of go, what's going on here? Because that bomb was always mm-hmm. massive. You know, and the people look at them now and think they were, they're big. But I always remember, you know, any, most of the time that I seen the girl on the road, they were, they were always big. They were. And I remember our, my apprentice boys actually took them to um, the August parade in Londonderry. Um, and I remember when the bus pulled up, I said to my dad, I was only a youngster at the time, I said, are we going to need another bus? Or are we going in the car? Because like, they were huge. Mm-hmm. Um and then a couple of years later, and so similar to that sort of Gold Springs pattern of where they, they lost a lot of members and just dwindled away. And then just almost like a phoenix out of the ashes just yeah. started to come back. And this massive membership just came down. And, and what they've done in the M3 for that, maybe even five-year period, was, was unbelievable. Yeah, because I know at one point they were practicing in the, the Ball McCarrick's Bond holiday. Yeah. And it got to the point where they had nowhere to go. They didn't little or no members knocking about at all and it was like we need help mm-hmm. from places and i know they always quote you know in terms of the, the bomb card you know having a you know being a, a help being a helping hand in terms of at that time and mm-hmm. stuff you know i think it's mentioned on the gert cd as well and there's a wee right yeah, up in the inside right of that mm-hmm. you know mentioning that and uh so you join this bond that's went through this major transition how much 
of a difference is they're playing with the Gertrude and playing with Gold Springs? Um, I suppose it's more the from a base drumming point of view, it, it's relatively simple because it's not you know you're not learning all the parallels and paradiddles and mm-hmm. you know all them that fancy drumming. But to change your, I I almost felt that I had to change my style quite a bit. Okay. Um, that was scary because you're just so used to that raw blood and thunder. Mm-hmm. You know, just hook it on, tape yourself up, and bite your lip and go for as hard it. as you can type thing. <laughs> um, I would say that the, the the difference of just the actual the, the tune arrangements, your timing, pace, you know, everything, the whole thing about it was just it was just a real learning curve. Um. Yeah. The only sort of saving grace, well, the one thing I was worried about was the Gertrude were so much slower than what the Gold Springs were. Mm-hmm. You know, the pace was really, really yeah. slow. Um, but then sort of that first first to second year, um, they were looking to sort of start injecting a wee bit more pace into it. So that sort of made me a wee bit more comfortable. Yeah. Um, and then we sort of took it to the actual, probably to the far, further end of that. We actually got nearly too quick. Um, and we're yeah. sort of going back to that sort of slower, that slower pace. But no, it was definitely, it was a big, big challenge. You know, you're sort of going to yourself... Can I do this? You know, you're, you're, yeah. You think when you get to thirty, you're sort of starting to look at the top of the hill now. You know, you're going down, but no, no, it was, it was, it was, it was a challenge. Yeah, it was, it was a good challenge. Like. No, it's definitely something that has changed from because, as you said, it became more um, about you know, sort of what fits, you know, what really works, rather than just blathering a life out. Mm-hmm. But now, I know you just have to make some level of noise to be heard over twenty five drums and whatever flutes. I mean, you've got one bass drum in the middle yeah. of the middle of the ranks you, know, you have to kind of you have to pump away I don't know but there's a lot more goes on than just you know blathering and making a you noise think, is there you, you have know? to think a lot more yeah. yeah you definitely have to think a lot more yeah the concentration level has to be crazy because <laughs> you know, with that amount of noise and then when you put that into your parade the, the level of noise not going to because that was something that always used to get me I remember a few times being caught and listening what to what was going on around me from other bands, mm-hmm. rather than listening to what my own band was doing at times, and you end up getting lost, and you're hearing the pace of what other bands yeah. are playing. Next thing you know, you're out of step, and the next thing you know, for whatever reason, you've started playing a tune and other bands playing and stuff, <laughs> you know. And uh, but it does when you're that big, it, it there's a lot more in terms of being a collective unit, or for want of a better word, an ensemble mm-hmm. that you have to really kind of pack together. Listen and concentrate because if we don't, we'll we'll get lost here. This what we're trying to do. We'll get lost, and that's the thing. You know, even before we, you know, maybe even start a tune or start of a parade. You know, it's at the at the start. I was hearing people in the, in them leading roles, the likes of the lead tip and the band captain, right? Concentrate, tune in here. You know, don't be you know concentrate what they're doing. Think of the drum beating yeah. and whatever, and you're going. We're not just put it on and play. You know, <laughs> it's sort of surreal. You know, yeah, but, yeah. Um, you know, yeah. I, I normally used to see people all the time and waving at them and you know sort of looking around me and even when uh-huh. I was playing you could just sort of let your head drift away Aye. but even now I don't know I was because I'm getting a bit older but you're sort of going right yeah, need to, need to tune in uh, exactly. here. and what's the crack with the big long drum intros because some of the drum intros <laughs> are longer than the tunes like you know uh, what I mean you, so. you, you, you'd have to ask uh, you'd have to ask Stuart Griffin about that <laughs> Stuart Griffin right enough there we go there we go the family guy um, so happy days uh-huh. um, no it just that's one of the things I've obviously you know there's 
obviously a couple of bands that do the the massive drum roll things and uh, I remember having a, a bit of a, a wee thing with, with Chena Chena used to talk about how the Ravens tunes last too long and I was like can I go well your drum intro's last too long you know so <laughs> this seems to be a real end thing at the moment like, I remember there used to be intros that were maybe 10-15 seconds long yeah and on some of the CDs we were trying to time out the CD and you're going right that intro's nearly a minute long uh, aye you know, and you're going, we'd trim that please into it. You yeah know, there, there is but if you, I remember was there a point that I think the Gertrude used to call it there used to be numbers called out I think before when it, was that the drum intro that you were going to use because I remember hearing them somebody going number three and then there was a drum intro brought in and then everybody knew what they were doing and stuff could well have been before my time I don't <laughs> okay, how do you do that now or is it all just it's you just sort of listen and know right and that's that like concentration level right, just, yep. whatever the lead tip's going to do I think there's only one intro sort of identified by two beats right okay it. The rest of it, you just have to, you just have to work on. Okay, dead on. Uh, that, that, but that takes some practicing as well. Do you just have to practices for the the drummers for them to work on that? Yeah. Um, so practices would be Monday evening would be just normally full band practice. Um, may that be in the form of we're just if we're maybe not going through new material, we just run through the tune list. Um, if we are going through new material, fluters would be in one room, drum corps would be in a separate room, sitting around tables. Um, and then the drumming is literally just dissected line by line by line and then brought together and then the the, the, the core and the drum core will come in together then and play that together uh-huh. um, then Thursday nights mainly we've reopened the Thursday nights now just for full band but mostly it would have been maybe like a drummer's class okay. especially for some of the, like, the, sure. the younger learners because you notice like some of the learners are maybe coming in on a Monday night watching the band practice they're sitting at the side they're not really being mm. they're not getting that one to one sort of tuition type thing Um so that would sort of the Thursday night would allow the lead tip then to sort of sit down and go is there any tunes you're unsure of or you know what what part are you struggling with and then as a unit we would all just go through it bass drummers and all um, and we would just sit down and break it down and, and try and make sure that it's it's so that's what, off in the three nights a off. week uh, pardon is that three nights a week then no well two two two, two. Not, no, that's not constant it's not all the time yeah. um, more so coming in sort of after Christmas up to the, the start of the season would be the real sort of intense two. But then, if you're on the committee, it is three nights. Yeah. You know, depending on you're having a or not, but mostly two nights. Oh, yeah. or, or if your other half's involved, it's every night. No, yeah. no that's true. <laughs> yeah. So, obviously, during the last sort of 12 to 15 months, things have been slightly different. How did you handle that as a bond, and how did you keep some level of practice going? Or did you? To be honest, at the start, um, we tried to. Um, we, we, we wanted to sort of to get a lot of new tunes sort of rattled out um, I think that the there was tunes was typed out and ready to be sent around everybody um, and then I think that they were going to be doing it by Zoom mm-hmm. um, but what sort of it's very very difficult to, to be able to, to especially for the likes of a drummer to sit down in front of a Zoom call and with the delay connections mm. and whatever else you don't hear it cleanly enough um, but then it was it was just a case of look now is not the time you know, it's it's not the right place to be in to, to be trying to force people to learn stuff. Yeah, people were worrying about finances, mm. illness, and whatever else. Um, so we, we sort of just left it. Um, that we didn't really bother. We sort of just tried to make sure that everyone was being looked after and that everyone was in a in a in a, in a real comfortable position. That if anybody was ill, could we help out at all? Could we go and get you something? Um, but from a practicing point of view. We, we just sort of felt that it wasn't really the right time to be trying to hammer that home. Yeah. I know a lot of bands have done quite a lot of work, but yeah. um, it was very, very difficult trying to get stuff out around to people. Um, I know that there was, Ron had actually got um, a lot of learner's books done out mm-hmm. and got a collection, a collection of some flutes. 
um, and he had put it up on the band's page that if anybody was interested in learning, not necessarily to join, but if anybody was sitting on the yeah. house board and want to learn. Um, and I think we got a few out of that. There was yeah. there was a good few of the learners' books and yeah. But aside from that, from an actual physical band point of view, there was very little we could do really until yeah. we sort of come up to the twelfth last year there. How did you handle that yourself? Brittle. Yeah. Brittle to start with. Um, but unfortunately then it became comfortable. I was a if I didn't say it was, you know. <laughs> coming home from work on a Monday night, maybe pissing down my rain, you're sort of going to yourself, thank goodness I don't have to go way down there. Yeah. I can just sit down with the feet up. And then that became the norm. Um, and I'll be honest, and I said to some of the boys there on Monday night, you know, you sort of get to the stage where you go, I can maybe do without this now. You know, mm. I'm, I'm quite enjoying not having to worry about this. Yeah. But then when you go back to band practice last Monday night and you see how many people were down and how good it was to see everybody and then you put it, you put the bass drum on a, or a flute up and the drum on, you just... It was brilliant again, you know, it just yeah. sort of re- re-engaged it all again, it was brilliant. But so was that your first night back then? First proper night back on Monday there. Okay, then on. Had you done a couple of outside marching about things? We done, we were down in uh, Nettlefield Primary School, Yeah. Uh, big fo- uh, like a football pitch out the side of it. Um, last year, mainly coming up to the 12th, we'd done, I think it was about five or six weeks um, outside. But again, it's it's okay, you know, but it's not, you can't really sort of break down and analyse tunes or you can't really sort of correct mistakes because there's, people standing watching and stuff and yeah it was good but don't get me wrong it was sort of broke you know it, it got a few people back interested again and re-engaged coming uh-huh. up to the 12th and then we're done with obviously prayed around the east in the 12th morning um it was good to get the cobwebs blown off of that but um but our first proper practice we had to get back indoor again you know it was yeah. so it was good to, good to get back a good crowd back. then turn up your yeah, yeah really good yeah uh, quite surprising actually especially with being bank holiday sure um we were sort of we weren't really expecting as many down people were maybe away with caravan and then you know, family time, whatever. But no, there was there was a good strong crowd down and a real good, real good feel about the place yeah. again. Like so, it was good. So obviously, parades and stuff starting to come back on, on online for people. Mm-hmm. When are we going to see the Gertrude out in the street again? First of July. Okay. That well, we will not be out before that. Um, just for a simple, pure reason that we just need to sort of try and get people back into that rhythm again. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, while our bands are are comfortable to go out and and, and just play again we want to make sure that we're we're, we're playing at a, at a decent standard again um, and by doing that we need to make sure that we're we're practicing so the practices are back two nights a week um cool. and really we just as a committee we decided that the first is July and we'll be our, our first period brilliant so one of the things that the podcast tries to do is talk about a lot of the positives that are involved in being a member of a bond we've talked about a lot of that type of stuff even today so far peter but talk to me a bit about some of the things that your bond does for the community um, well, again, there's quite a bit, you know, and again, I'll go back to what they were saying there about the, the likes of the, the, the tune books there, you know, the, the, for, for just a random person to come up and be able to pick up a four or five, six hundred pound flute, um, just to try and give them something to do to keep mm-hmm. the mental health right, maybe, you know, give them an objective to work towards, um, that in itself, I think is very, very important, um, We've done quite a lot of work in the community. Um, one of the ones that we've done, we're heavily involved with, was Team Hot. Right. I don't know if you've heard of them. Um, they're a homeless right, help group. Okay. Um, it was a couple of years ago we went out. And, uh, there was a handful, well, there was a good handful of us, actually. I think there was about maybe 15, 20 of us over two or three separate nights. Um, I went around with pots of stew and pots of soup and um, feeding, trying to get people warm. It was mm-hmm. coming up to Christmas time. Yeah. Like, brutal, ice cold weather. Um, and just going around and having a conversation with people and just sort of trying to make sure that you know they're maybe getting a hot, hot meal in their stomach. Uh-huh. Um, it was good. It went over maybe three or four weeks. Um, so there, there's quite a lot of work goes on that people don't see or yeah. people don't want to see sometimes, mm-hmm. um, and don't appreciate what what actually the the the, the, the band scene can 
or the bands can do yeah. to help the community. Well, what prompted a blood and thunder band from East Belfast that they work with the homeless? I mean, where did that come from? Um, it was through a guy in Shanks. Um, I think he takes quite a lot that they're dead. I don't know if he still does or not. Um, and I think that homelessness and mental health was sort of two, the two main things that had sort of came up um, quite repetitively um, in recent years. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, I mean, you just need to go around Belfast on a, on a Sunday night or, or any night of the week and you can yeah. see just how many people, um, especially at the, the back of the clock there where they go into that wee shelter in there, mm-hmm. the queues of people to get food, to try and get a, a warm bed to sleep in at night time. And we thought, well, there's anything we can do to... to Certainly not going to ease the burden, but at least sort of help somebody get over the next couple of days. Yeah. Um. Even some silly has taken out. It was a bag of sandwiches with a packet of crisps and whatever else. I think there was wee toiletries in it and stuff. Um. And we just thought, well, we need maybe need to try and help out in some shape or form. Yeah. And for some reason, that's not the image people seem to have no. of member of bonds, is it? No, not at all. You know people, what I mean? I, the amount of arguments that I've got in, in, involved in, and I'm sure you've probably done yeah. the same yourself, and many others listening to this will probably think the same. You know, people just see bonds as a blue bag, you know, bunch of bigoted louts that that just want to go around intimidating people and walking mm-hmm. through areas that they shouldn't be. It's yeah. it's that's it, far from that. Like it really is. I mean, that's a lost thing. On I don't. I'm sure you're the same, but it's a lost thing on my mind. My mind, whenever I'm up with the bond, is am I going to annoy some? I really want to annoy somebody nah. with what I'm doing. I'm like kind of going. I want to make sure the bond's playing well. Mm-hmm. I want to make sure my uniform's right. I want to make sure I get to the end of this break because nah. I'll be knackered after it. And, you know, where we're we going afterwards. Mm-hmm. It's, that's, those are the kind of things that are in my mind whenever I'm okay. walking around or am I in an area where I know somebody and I need to look out for them rather than, like, what can I do right now to annoy somebody? Because mm-hmm. that's just not on the agenda for me in any shape or form. No. And and it's, it's even, you know... Um, no matter who you talk to, regardless of whether they have any knowledge of the bond or not, they still have this same perception in their mind mm-hmm. of what you've just read. It says beer-swelling sectarian hellions. And it's, it, it's, it, it really does annoy me. Like, they you know, haven't got the first clue. <laughs> you know, they really don't. It, it's something that really, it really grates on me, you know, to, to, to hear people say that. You know, because... The amount of young ones that I've seen come in through either through the Gold Springs or the Kirkwood and you can see that they're, you know, maybe out there a wee bit, you know, they're maybe starting mm. to go off the rails a wee yeah. bit and they come into a band hall and they learn discipline, mm-hmm. learn, how, like you said, looking after your uniform, a sense of pride, yeah. you know, and then they get people around them that, that start to care for them and, and maybe build good relationships with yeah. that actually rein them people in yeah. you know, and, and maybe take maybe them off the track they don't even have elsewhere exactly you know? you know but again as I said people don't see it nor do they want to see it yeah you know? well that's it you know and I think that's one of the reasons why you know for me the podcast became so important it's like kind of going you know what there are hundreds and hundreds of stories out there of people who have been positively impacted by bonds. And it, that's where it started for me. And, you know, whenever I even was saying about writing the book, and it was more a case of I heard all these negative, negative stories about bonds. And I think, oh, well, listen, you know what? I grew up on an interface, and the one thing that kept me out of trouble was the flute bond. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And they'd grown up, and I, I look around and go, there are people who I grew up with in that area who are would or would have been a similar age to me. They're dead. You know, they got themselves involved in things that they shouldn't have got involved in and they've they've wasted their they wasted their lives, you know, mm-hmm. and doing stuff. And the one thing that kinda 
kept me on an even path when all hell was breaking loose around me in East Belfast. It was was part of the Raven Flute Band. Mm-hmm. You know? Again, you know, it, it's things like that that, as you said, just sort of gives you that 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 thing in life to keep yourself distracted from everything else that's going on around you. Yeah. You know, and, and again, and even from about our own community, there's so many people that I know that would class themselves as Protestants that, yeah. that see bonds as what we've just yeah. explained at the bit. And, and, and look down on it. And they haven't got the first clue. You know, exactly. They, they haven't got a, an, an, an ounce of sense. I know. So, well, listen, where's, what's the future looking like for the Gerber? Obviously getting back into practice and all in there. And uh, yeah. any major plans coming up? Well, this year is our 60th anniversary. Okay, um, cool. Obviously, but with, with COVID, we're very, very restricted in what we're able to do. Yeah. Um. So I think, obviously, we'll, we'll, we'll try and get, see what way this season's going to pan out. Um, there was plans in place for, for some massive things to happen. Um. To celebrate that, okay. but unfortunately, Mister COVID has ruined that. So yeah. we'll we'll wait. We'll probably wait until next year, and hopefully, we can then give it the, the proper respect that it's due. Um, but I know there's there's some massive plans that, that maybe to celebrate with the older ones, the old okay. boys. Um, right. Bit of a mass band, band, maybe. Uh, yeah. Well, we'll not go into too much. Hopefully, <laughs> okay. hopefully, that's but, that's uh, true, folks. It's going to be a mass band. <laughs> <laughs> um, hopefully that, and then. Um, we're hoping to try and drum out another new CD. We haven't done a CD in Brilliant. Like four years. Brilliant. Four years, five years. Maybe. Yeah, I think so. So we want to try and get one of the, get all the, the the newer material onto that. Brilliant. Get that out, um, and hopefully, fingers crossed again, depending on finances, um, we would hope to maybe look at getting some new gear. Okay, so now that was one of my one of my questions hanging in the background. Are you going back to red? I have to wait and see. Okay, well, there we go. Because there's a lot of people watching. I love the uniform that you saw of Nike. It's, it was kind of. It's not the first time that you have flirted with that color. Because I remember uh, a number of years back, the Gerby had changed their trousers to that type of color. They were running about with a, the red jackets, like a mustardy kind of trouser, and then um, obviously switched um, fully this time around. And mm-hmm. although for a while there, you were kind of switching between. The two uniforms. The idea of the the, the the camel, what I call it, um, the camel uniform was got to sort of try and preserve the lifespan of the red one, uh-huh. um, and to give us that bit of variation. Um, so, but the, the, it, it just became you know to the point where the camel one was a wee bit more fresher, and some of them were a wee bit the red ones were a bit damaged, and uh-huh. some of them you probably wouldn't have you wouldn't have let anyone put on. So yeah. it was just sort of felt that you know we got a, a an offer for the red uniform, and we thought well. Now we've got this one, it'll yeah. tie us over, and it was meant to be obviously coming out this year. Um, mm-hmm. Probably coming out the 1st of July would have been the new one coming out, yeah. but unfortunately it's, it's not been able to happen. But yeah, so we'll look forward to, to seeing what, what comes in the future. Yeah. No, that's one of the things I always look forward to on the 1st of July, is having a gog around to see, is there anybody sporting a new uniform? Because yeah. that was always the thing, because it was always, they're always closely guarded secrets, aren't yeah. they? The uniform, it's like kind of going... Do not share anything with anybody about this. You know, weren't even allowed to wear it. I don't know. When we, when, when the, we done the camel one. I think it was two thousand and would have been sixteen. Yeah, I think two thousand sixteen was on the first of July. Um, I'm more delighted to wear it there. Yeah, had to keep it in the bag. Had to keep it in the bag yeah. until we got there. And we all got changed there. Yeah, no, I remember doing that with uh, Balma when I was walking with Balma Carter. The first time I switched to the the Air Force Blue. They had they had the navy blue uniforms yeah. with the the whole with the different type of hats and stuff. It was the first time they had moved to even wearing peak caps, but they went to this kind of RAF blue with I red and gold black and took, stuff. You know, my black took the Paul McCartney. Yeah. I, I think it was Nards that yeah, yeah. uniform. So and that was that was a major change for them because mm-hmm. they'd always been known for that. 
blue that red white and blue thing that you used to wear they almost it was like it was almost like a double of the parkinson's uniform uh-huh. like both bonds used to walk the same near enough with the same uniform on mm-hmm. and then they put that on it was like it was a real change and that was whenever they switched in terms of their own styles and things themselves they really came into their the four around that sort of 1990 thing when they had the the niba thing and stuff you know so but uh, good things to look forward to then. Potential new CD, maybe an old boys thing going on, and uh, new uniform maybe on the in the in the yes, works there. That'll be crossed. great. So in terms of finishing off, then Peter, all what I usually ask people is if you could share one thing with people about the bond scene that would help them understand it, what would it be? Um, I would say it's the comradeship. You know, whenever whenever times are are. When people are really up against the cloche, real, real, real hard times, and, and I use my own personal experience to that, when there's been challenging times, the f- nine times out of ten, the first people that would be on, on my doorstep would be people out of my barn. Yeah. And that, uh, that's, that's you know, that's everything. You know, when you see, I'll give you a small example, you know, a, a, a death had happened. I was only in the band a year, um, and they'd done a parade on the day of, of my grandfather's funeral. And they went, I wasn't even in the band here. And the messages of support, people came to the door. They went to the parade that night and they wrapped the flags up in, in memory of them. Yeah. I, know, I know that sounds daft, but no, things no. like that means that yeah. means everything, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and they actually then we prayed in Cumber the following night and they've done the same thing again, mm-hmm. you know. But the amount of people that I've watched going through some real, real, real hard, challenging times and the first three, four people at that doorstep are people out of that band. Yeah. And I mean that for all bands, not just me own, because yeah. I've seen other bands doing mm-hmm. it, you know. You, you just have to look at what happened to that mass band in, in, in Banbridge. Yeah. You know, that's unbelievable. You know, for, for a community to come together and, and help support a family like that and, and show that that support. Yeah. There's no there I don't think there's another another thing in this world would be able to, to pull that together like I a know, definitely, but it's, it's that but this thing is again, Peter's we're we're talking about here is happening day in and day out mm-hmm. with members of bonds that this level of support exists mm-hmm. and this sense of belonging. And being a part of something that's bigger than yourself, you know, and uh, and as I say, I don't think the bond scene gets enough credit mm, for not. for what they do. E- even through COVID, there, you know, the amount of bonds that I've seen on on Facebook, going around and supplying food hampers for their members, yeah, supplying food hampers for their ex members, yeah. people who haven't been in the bond maybe ten years, years making sure yeah. that they're 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 looked after, making sure that they're eating well, you know, even just to have a conversation from from the end of the garden, you know, people as I say, they don't see it or they don't want to see it, yeah. No, brilliant. Peter, listen, that's been absolutely fantastic, man. I really appreciate you taking no, the time no out to, to come and me. speak to me. And I think that was a, that's been a fantastic conversation, man. Really, really appreciate it. And looking forward to, to seeing the girt back on the road very I'm soon. So it is, you know. So happy days, man. Thank brilliant, you. Thank you. Well, there you go, folks. That's the end of episode number two. And I really hope that you enjoyed that conversation. I know I did. And uh, it just, the time just seemed to, to fly by when, when Peter and myself were, were having that conversation. Absolutely fantastic and great to hear, you know, just his own progression from a, a kid right up to where he is now uh, and what he's doing with, with the Gertrude. Um, absolutely fantastic. So next week we are going to be joined by the bond captain from Clawfern Young Congress. And we had a wee conversation there about a month or so back and I'm uh, really delighted to be able to share that with you. It's another band that's went through, you know, some some changes and stylistic things and uh, just happened to see them the other night and they were going absolutely great guns, looking well in uniforms as well. So that's the next episode.
Remember, if you're new to the podcast, then please subscribe to us. You can get that via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or even if you want to ask Alexa to play the latest episode of the Made to Pray podcast, she will do that for you. Um, the more people we have listening in, the better. Um, share this with whoever you think might be interested, and uh, let's share these positive stories that come from within the bouncing that we all know and love. Remember that you can support the work of uh, Made the Parade by becoming a patron. You can go to patreon.com and you can sign up for a number of different packages there. I want to say thank you to the people who do that already. I really appreciate the support that you give us um, financially and you help us to be able to develop new things and uh, do new things with the podcast. So thank you very much for that. And as always, I'm going to plug the book. Um, it's not a kick in the teeth of it being a year old, uh, but this is where this all came came from the story of myself joining the predator even flute band as a a nine-year-old boy in east belfast and uh, having a really positive experience and uh experiencing lots of great things as a member of of a band you can get it on amazon on paperback for 9.99 or the kindle versions available i believe for 5.99 now and so make sure you check that out so folks that's everything until next time look after yourselves and take it easy And here's the girl that plays out. You have been listening to the Made to Parade podcast, sponsored by the British Drum Company, where Phantom, Regimental Series and Axial Parade Drums are hand-built in the UK to look amazing, sound amazing and feel amazing.